Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Jenna Ellis, and welcome to Just the Truth Podcast, sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find them at thomasmoresociety.org. If you're on social media or listening to most news channels today, you might think that conservatives have given up the fight or have no chance of winning since Democrats currently control the federal government. But that's completely not true. And my guest today is someone who is on the front lines fighting for freedom and to protect liberty for the next generation. Michael Ferris, president and CEO of Alliance Defending Freedom is here on set to discuss with me generational wins. So Mike, thanks so much for joining me again. It's great to be with you again, Jenna. This is great how your show's going. Thanks so much. It's been so much fun to do these deep dives and to really uh, give people more of an opportunity to learn about civics and to uh, get more into the details of what's going on rather than just the political topics. And, um, you know, you and I were talking uh, last week about uh, generational wins and what Alliance Defending Freedom is doing moving forward. So explain that concept and why it's important for people to actually have courage and excitement about what's going on. Well, I coined the phrase generational wins to describe what happened in the homeschooling movement. As you well know, I uh, was the founding president of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association and was either the president or chairman of that group for 33 years, I think it was, and saw homeschooling go from where, if you'd ask all 50 attorney generals of the various states, is it legal to homeschool in your state? 35 years ago, all of them would have said, no, that's not legal, no. Even as a matter of statutory law, few of them would have been wrong. But as a matter of constitutional law, we thought they were all wrong. But that was the prevailing opinion and the way it worked in day-to-day life for most people, is that it was thought to be illegal. If you ask all 50 attorney generals today, attorney generals today, if, if it's legal to homeschool, all of them would say, yeah, it's legal. Some of them wouldn't like the answer, but they'd all admit that it's legal. That's a generational win, where you go from a situation where it's fundamentally bad from a legal perspective, the, the, the right that you want to establish, the, the policy you want to establish is on the wrong side of the law. And today, it's completely on the right side of the law and is an ascendancy. And so um, the reason, frankly, that I, I left HSLDA's employment and came to Alliance Defending Freedom a bit over four years ago is I believed that there was an opportunity to deliver that kind of a generational win in the five areas that ADF deals with, which are right to life, religious freedom, freedom of speech, marriage and sexual issues, and parental rights. And, um, and so I think also the flip side of that coin is generational losses, because when yeah. you're describing some of these things, you know, we've gone from protecting uh, the sanctity of life in a lot of states to now having uh, Roe versus Wade and its progeny. Right. And so is that something as well that in a generational win we're kind of reversing the loss? Yeah, in, in all five of the generational wins that ADF is working on, 
there's either a reversal of a Supreme Court decision involved or at least a clarification. In two of the instances, it's clarification, and in three of them, it's outright reversal of what the Supreme Court done, Roe versus Wade being the leading example. Uh, but to take that example, uh, our generational win that we're aiming for in the right to life is not satisfied when we get Roe versus Wade reversed. And we're hopeful that that's going to happen in the next two to perhaps three or four years. But, but relatively soon, that there, we believe there's a real opportunity to reverse Roe. But our goal is for America to be a pro-life nation. And then to do that, Roe will simply send the issue, reversal of Roe rather, will send the issue back to the states. And so we want to make sure that all 50 states are pro-life, and that's going to take a combination of state laws at the beginning, and then ultimately it's going to take a federal constitutional amendment to probably deliver the last 15 to 12, 12 to 15 states uh, will, will need to be delivered through a constitutional amendment. But if you get the political power of having 30 pro-life states, we believe that we can then deliver a constitutional amendment, either through Article 5, Convention of the States, or through the, the more traditional methodology of, of Congress proposing it. But uh, that's our goal, is to have a pro-life America. Roe, reversal is a big step, but for each of the five areas, we have similar kinds of goals. Hmm. So, so let's talk about those five areas um, throughout this program, because I think for a lot of people, um, you know, as I said in the opening, they're looking at the media, they're looking at uh, you know, Biden's speech last night that, frankly, you know, isn't good for conservative policy, and they're feeling discouraged because we tend to, in the media, focus on clash and focus on the negativity. And so it's important for people to recognize right. that ADF has a plan to say, no, we're moving forward, and, and, and you um, are looking at this with extreme optimism, actually. Indeed. Um, well, let's, let's talk about the issues, and then a little later I'll, I'll give you the reason for the optimism. Great. Um, the, uh, we'll deal with religious freedom first. Uh, the free exercise of religion was harmed dramatically by a decision of the Supreme Court in the 1990s called Employment Division versus Smith. Unfortunately, it was written by Justice Scalia. It's really his principal mistake that he made in his service. Otherwise, he was one of the uh, greatest justices of all time. But, but in this one area, he got it wrong. And th as a result of that, the, the rule was, unless you uh, had a law that was aimed at religion, they were they're out to get the religious people and nobody else, the, there's no free exercise violation. So translating that means, if you have a generally neutral law and you apply it to religious people, you can't get a religious exemption. So for example, a generally neutral law says you can't discriminate against uh, people on the basis of sex and employment. Now let's go to the, uh, a Catholic church or a traditional Baptist church, and they only employ men as pastors. So a woman files a lawsuit alleging sex discrimination. We've got a generally neutral law. Well, how does the church get away with not doing that? It's because they get a religious exemption because of the Constitution from a generally neutral law. That's what Scalia upset with his decision in Smith. And it's what brought us the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which I helped write. Um, but the, uh, uh, the constitutional basis of it needs to be restored. And so reversing Smith so that we're back on a federal constitutional basis for free exercise of religion and those opportunities to say, that law, if you want to use that law in other contexts, what, you know, whatever. But if, when you're going to bring it into the church, when you're going to bring it into my religious life, I mean, it's, it's how we win homeschool cases. Yeah. If you want to require teacher certification in your world, knock yourself out. And we're going to take a break yeah. here, and we'll be right back to talk with more with Mike Ferris, a CEO of Alliance Defending Freedom. Delve into the shadows of the mind 
with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Continuing the conversation here on Just the Truth with my friend, President and CEO of Alliance Defending Freedom, Michael Ferris, and we're talking about generational wins and restoring the Constitution of America and making sure that our policy reflects genuine liberty and freedom and the Declaration, which unanimously declared and recognized that our rights come from God, our Creator, not our government, and it's the sole purpose of government to preserve and protect those rights. And so, Mike, uh, before the break, we were talking about Employment Division versus Smith and uh, getting back to the the constitutional principle right. of protecting religious freedom. Well, there's uh, a case pending at the Supreme Court right now called Fulton versus City of Philadelphia, where the Catholic social services agencies have been doing foster care uh, work uh, in Philadelphia for uh, decades and decades. And uh, they have been shut down uh, according to a new Philadelphia law because they will not uh, give services to same-sex couples. They, you know, if you, you, they're only going to place kids in foster care in traditional heterosexual married couples, according to their religion. If, if a same-sex couple comes in, they tell them, you know, here's a list of other agencies. They'll be glad to help you. Just, you know, go across the street and somebody else will help you. We, we have to act according to our, our beliefs. Well, that case has been argued and is waiting for a decision. It could come down tomorrow. Literally, opinions will be uh, released this week, and so we'll be getting them uh, uh, very soon. Now, uh, it certainly will come before the end of June. Um, the, uh, in that, and it was argued in that case that Employment Division versus Smith should be reversed, and we go back to the traditional long-standing uh, standard where the free exercise of religion was treated like a fundamental right. So that's one of our generational mm -hmm. wins, is getting Smith reversed. If they don't uh, do that in Fulton, and the oral argument kind of went off on a technical argument, uh, and if that technical argument uh, dissuades them from reaching the big question, Baronel Stutzman's case, Arlene's Flowers case from Washington State, from my hometown, mm -hmm. the trial was in Kennewick, Washington. I graduated from Kennewick High School. Her shop is in Richland, Washington. For decades, my family owned a Christian bookstore in Richland, Washington. So to say it's close to home is the understatement of the century. Um, but Baronell's case has been held by the Supreme Court for more than a year. And if the Fulton case isn't the vehicle for reconsidering Smith, Baronell's case is front and center, ready to go, and will decide once and for all this clash between LGBT anti-discrimination rules and religious freedom, which prevails mm -hmm. when there's a clash. And so um, we believe, of course, that religious freedom should prevail because uh, under traditional doctrine, uh, the least restrictive standard should apply, which means is there another way for the government to accomplish its objective without overriding people's religious freedom? And the answer is certainly. Uh, the people can get flowers at another shop. Baronel sent these people. Uh, who she had gladly served in any other context besides a, a, a wedding flowers, uh, she'd served them for nine years, and she'd serve them again today. Um, but uh, uh, she said, if you need wedding flowers, you know, you should go over to this other florist. 
And so the government's objective of getting other services can certainly be accomplished. So this is a, a very reasonable reading of the traditional standards of religious freedom that should resolve these things favorably uh, for people like Jack Phillips and Baronel Stutzman. So that's one of our, our, our generational wins. And on religious liberty, um, so the Smith decision, it seems like because there are exceptions that are carved out, those exceptions could be taken away also right. at any point. I mean, it, shouldn't it be the fundamental rationale of the court to say this is a guarantee right. th uh, from the Constitution rather than just an exception? Right. The whole exceptions doctrine flows from Smith because uh, the, the court says, well, uh, in fact, the, 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 the most recent decision of the Supreme Court in a per, per curiam, meaning nobody signed the opinion uh, uh, on the, one of the church closure cases, um, they said a very favorable reading of the exceptions rule. But th that came from um, the Smith case, which said, if you're granting exceptions, then you have to consider religious exceptions alone as well. But the traditional rule doesn't depend on exceptions, doesn't com, com, you know, uh, require us to compare churches to casinos or anything like that. It's just, are you regulating churches? And you know, if, if so, the burden of proof is on you, and it's a very high burden of proof that there's no other way you can accomplish your objective. Forget the comparisons. The comparisons are irrelevant mm -hmm. under traditional First Amendment doctrine. So uh, that will be one of the great things about getting rid of Smith is that we're just back straight up honoring religious freedom at the outset. Mm -hmm. And that's what they've been doing in a lot of these church closure cases is trying to compare the size of the building with um, right. a big box department store or some of these other things, which doesn't make sense when you look at uh, the freedom of religion and the free exercise of religion yeah. as protected by the Constitution. And so what about also um, the, the decision to um, amend the Civil Rights Act, um, essentially to read in sexual orientation and gender identity. If we reverse Smith, is that still going to be a problem? Well, uh, yes, um, but then you have, you know, so let, let's, uh, we filed a case this last week uh, on behalf of the College of the Ozarks where the Biden administration has reread the Fair Housing Act to uh, redefine sex according to the Supreme Court's decision in the Bostock case. Um, which th they said sex discrimination, which when it was passed in the 60s, meant men and women. Mm -hmm. And they're saying now it means also sexual orientation and gender identity. So they're redoing that. But still, even with the redoing of the statute, you still have a statutory claim of anti-discrimination against a constitutional claim of religious freedom. And we learn from the Supremacy Clause that the highest law of the land is not statute. It's the Constitution. And so when there's a clash between an ordinary statute and the Constitution, the Constitution should win. Now, there are, ex there are exceptions to that, but the exceptions are supposed to be extraordinarily limited. And in, in the areas of fundamental freedoms, like the free exercise of religion, it's supposed to be very, very rare and, and very, very strict. And so that you have to have something, you know, basically uh, that the nation's whole being is going to, you know, dissolve. The, the, the standards are incredibly high uh, for that. Uh, you know, the, the best example is compulsory school attendance was held not to be a sufficient interest in the Yoder case in the 1970s. So the, the Yoder was the Amish uh, who didn't want to send their kids to the public high school. They, they taught them through the eighth grade, and after that they said, no, we're going to teach them farming and life skills at home and in, in our farms and, and in our community. And the Supreme Court said, public schools are a big deal. 
uh, compulsory attendance is a, is a good thing in general, but it's not as high as religious freedom. That's the way the balance should, should come out at the end of the day. Hmm. So if you were fashioning a rule uh, to prevail instead of Smith, what uh, should the rule in general look like? Well, I'd be very, very satisfied with the Yoder test, the, the one that is the compelling interest doctrine. Um, now, if I got to really, you know, be the, the philosopher king and take a magic wand, I would say that religious freedom should prevail in every case except if it violates the moral law of God. If you're using religious freedom to do child sacrifice mm -hmm. or... Like the satanic temple that's suing in Texas saying it, we it, want child it, sacrifice and abortion yeah. to be part of our quote-unquote religious freedom. Yeah, exactly. And so, so you know, you, you could say... If you don't want to use the moral law of God as your standard, you can accomplish essentially the same thing by saying you can't use it to, to do what is a malum in se common law crime, uh, which, you know, that means it's intrinsically evil, which back, gets you back in the back doorway, back to the moral law of God. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's the way I would do it because that's what I believe the founders were, were talking about. There was a particular speech uh, by one of the more important religious freedom thinkers at, as a graduation speech at Brown University. Um, just prior to the, to the Bill of Rights being adopted. And, and, he, and he talked about, in all things bodily, we will conform to the law, but in all things to do with the soul and the mind and, and so on, that's the, that's the line we, we don't cross. And, and, and the, if you read the whole context, it's the moral law of God does not violate the moral law of God. So the moral law of God of religious freedom does not violate the moral law of God of thou shalt not kill as an example. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's, I, I think, the correct balancing test. Yeah, but but, but I'll, I'll, I'll be very happy with the compelling interest test coming back from Yoder, and we'll just live with that for a while. Yes, well, this is why I wish that you were on the Supreme Court, and that would have been my first choice. You know, no, no disrespect to Amy Coney Barrett. But, um, but so with this current composition, though, of the court, do you anticipate that um, with the whether it's 6-3 actually or 5-4 balance, um, however you want to articulate that, do you anticipate that the current balance of the court is interested in protecting religious freedom? Yes, I do. Um, uh, the, the decisions that they've done on churches, the, the, the last couple of rounds, have been very good, very encouraging. And uh, the, the last one they said, you know, when we said if there's any group that's getting... Uh, a more favorable treatment than churches. You got a constitutional problem, and they said, "We really meant it." You, you know, we're, we're not saying that some people are treated as bad as churches, or even some people are treated worse than churches. That doesn't save uh, an, a, a COVID restriction on churches. If anybody that's arguably relevant is getting a more favorable treat, uh, treatment than churches, it's unconstitutional. And so it was a really aggressive, using, still using Smith, but using it in the most aggressive um, means possible. Um, they, uh, there, there's a real strong religious freedom five-judge court right now. Mm -hmm. That is that is really encouraging, and I think for a lot of people who have seen uh, you know, some of the things that Justice Roberts, for instance, um, has done and, and some of the sway on the court, um, do you think that the precedent coming out of the COVID cases are, is going to ultimately be good, even though it's just been, a lot of them have just been on preliminary injunctions and that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I think that the, the, the courts uh, really started hammering this home, and so it, it started off not good, but... Uh, but uh, one vote switched, and away we go, and, and uh, uh, it's, it's amazing uh, what, what's going on now. And, and so it's, it's very, very encouraging.
Yeah, yeah, and that's why, you know, one vote away, and it always matters, the composition yeah. of the Supreme Court. And, you know, we talked last time about court packing and why, uh, you know, the Democrats just want to get their rubber stamp on their policy and not be held uh, to accountability. But all of this is so important. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the next uh, topic of generational wins with Mike Ferris. And we'll get into freedom of speech and why that's so important to generational wins and uh, some of the cases and the plans around that. So stick with us here on Just the Truth as I'm talking with my good friend, CEO, and president of Alliance Defending Freedom, Michael Ferris. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Continuing the conversation here on Just the Truth with my friend, President and CEO of Alliance Defending Freedom, Michael Ferris. And so, Mike, we're talking about generational wins, and the next one is uh, freedom of speech and why that's so important to protect for the next generation. Well, ADF uh, litigates in all five areas that we're talking about, but in terms of sheer numbers of cases, freedom of speech is by far our biggest. We have won over 400 cases on freedom of speech just against colleges and universities, public colleges and universities, obviously, because the Constitution only applies to the government, and so the private schools, that's a different area of law. But the constitutional law applies to, to uh, college presidents. Any college presidents that just happen to be listening or anybody you know a college president, I have a message for you. There's a free speech zone that you, that you should be aware of. It's called the United States of America. And, <laughs> I love and, it. And so the uh, colleges keep insisting on trying to truncate the areas on campus where free speech is allowed, the times and the places and the content of speech. And they try to regulate all these things, all of which is just clearly unconstitutional. Uh, we argued a case, uh, Kristen Wagner, our general counsel, argued the Chike Yuzik uh, Bunim case, uh, and it, it, the um, defendant's name is even harder to say than Chike Uzik Bunim, uh, which took me six months to learn how to say that. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the Chike was preaching uh, on a, the Gwinnett uh, College in Georgia in this free speech zone with advanced permission and still was harassed by the police because they didn't like the content of his speech. And the, the government lawyers argued that his speech presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ was tantamount to fighting words under the Constitution. That's uh, insane. It's, it's really <laughs> insane, especially in Georgia. Can you imagine the Attorney General's office in Georgia arguing that the gospel is fighting words? Wow. Um, somebody out of their element uh, really badly. Now, they eventually figured it out that that wasn't a winning argument. And so they, uh, they change their policy. Now, colleges do this routinely. They, they get deep into litigation. They thought, okay, we've hassled the people enough and we're gonna lose, so let's, let's stop and let's change our policy. And we get away, walk away scot-free. We cost people all kinds of trouble. We make attorneys spend a lot of time on this, but we walk away scot-free um, because uh, once we've uh, changed our policy, the case is moot. Hmm. Well, not if you sue for damages. And the question is, can you, what are your damages when they just violate your constitutional rights? They, you know, they didn't you didn't lose your job, so there's lost wages. You know, you, there's no other 
you know, tangible, articulable kind of damages. And so there's a doctrine in the law called nominal damages, which means if you had your rights violated, we're going to give you something. If it's a dollar, if it's a hundred dollars, if it's a thousand dollars, but we're going to give you something because the government violated your rights. Now, um, we won that case in the Supreme Court eight to one, Justice Roberts being the exception to that. Uh, and, and civil rights groups, uh, conservative civil rights groups like ADF, uh, agreed, with, or the, actually the left, uh, the ACLU, agreed with us because it was our case. We were arguing it. Um, but we won that case, and we've since that case, uh, we've had uh, we've settled or are about to settle another case that they were doing the same tactic. But they realized that they're going to be saddled with hundreds of thousands of dollars of attorney's fees because of this nominal damages doctrine that's coming in. So their colleges are finally getting the message. And so um, we need, but I, we believe the generational win comes when the Supreme Court tells all the colleges and universities, look at you guys have got to honor free speech. That doesn't mean people get to disrupt the classrooms, but, right. but out in the open areas of the campus, free speech should prevail. You, you don't get to have prior restraints requiring people to have permissions. Now, it, it, it doesn't mean that you know, a stranger to the campus gets to do all this, but this is what we're talking about for the, the students and the faculty, the people who are part of the campus community. Mm -hmm. It's their rights that are being litigated. And so, uh, so that's one important context. But there's other free speech areas. The case I argued in the Supreme Court in 2018 was California with Attorney General Becerra, now Secretary Becerra, um, saying that pro-life pregnancy centers had to give a free ad for free abortion services offered by the government on the walls or verbally to all their clients who'd come into the pro-life centers. And uh, we won that case five to four. It should have been nine zero, but we won. That's the important thing. Freedom of speech was, was protected. And so in this area, this is where the Supreme Court, we believe, needs to clarify its free speech doctrine, particularly in the college area. Mm -hmm. We don't need a reversal. And so we're very, very confident that in due course, we're going to get the right case before the court. The Chike case was a good step forward. But the, the ultimate victory is it's so clear at the Supreme Court that colleges don't dare deny freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. Now. A related but non-constitutional area that we're looking at is free speech in private world, right. Twitter, right. Facebook, Google, all of that, uh, Amazon. And so we're looking at, at, at theories, mainly theories relative to antitrust and uh, restraint of trade. And mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, what's the difference between Jack Phillips not wanting to serve people and Amazon not wanting to serve people? Jack Phillips doesn't offer a cake to one guy. Amazon kicks entire classes of people off the marketplace. Mm -hmm. so like Ryan Anderson. Yeah, yeah like Ryan Anderson. That's a restraint of trade. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking at that. We haven't, we haven't cracked that, that uh, puzzle yet, but it's mm -hmm. something that's very concerning and, and, and we're looking at it closely. So we believe that free speech, first and foremost, vis-a-vis -vis the government needs to be reestablished. But free speech in the general marketplace of ideas is an important concept that we're working on as well. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, Jack Phillips and the Masterpiece Cake Shop case and, and some of these things. And I think um, for people there also should be a clarification that um, freedom of speech is about not being censored by the government, but also not being compelled by the government right. to participate in speech. So talk about those two sides of the same coin of speech. Sure. Uh, well, the case that I argued in the Supreme Court the, 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 the uh, NIFLA versus Becerra case was about being compelled. It was, mm -hmm. you know, give a pro-abortion message while you have, you know, in the middle of your pro-life advocacy. Uh, well, they weren't going to get, deliver that message, and fr frankly, the California did that, explicitly trying 
to get them to stop doing business. They, they, that was their real objective. Um, and so the government cannot compel, compelled speech is presumptively unconstitutional. Um, and so there are very, very limited exceptions to that in, in very technical areas. Uh, um, but um, most of the time it's, it's unconstitutional. The, um, the area of, of being censored is, is like the Chike case. I'm on the college campus, I want to preach the gospel, and you're saying, no, no, you can't preach the gospel because it's fighting words. Either way, uh, you know, the, the principle that we're, we, we'll know the generational wins in place when this maxim is back in place. I may disagree with everything you say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. That was what made America, America, and we need to get back to that principle. Absolutely. And so uh, there's so much more we could talk about on that, but I want to also turn to uh, the next generational win, which is um, human sexuality right. and why it's so important to protect the sanctity of marriage as defined uh, as one man and one woman and human sexuality, meaning biological truth. Right. And the, and all of these are kind of tied together because some of these things, the, being able to say marriage is between one man and one woman and not getting kicked off Twitter or uh, calling uh, people by not just their preferred pronouns, not being compelled to participate right. in a lie, but actually speaking truth and also on the basis of religion. All of these are kind of tied in together. But um, talk about why this is so important as a protection and a generational win? Well, our goal ultimately is to have God's definition or our American traditional definition of marriage and male and female biology once again prevailing. Uh, the battle for today, where, where the battle is being met right now, is on the definition of what are men and women. And, and we are litigating the cases, uh, all the cases about girls in sports. If you hear those, read of those, those are all ADF cases. And so um, we, we are litigating on, on behalf of high school girls in, the, in Connecticut and on behalf of college young ladies in, the, uh, in Idaho. And so, but, but they're both the same thing. That Title IX prohibits sex discrimination in sports. And uh, that means that women have, should have sports opportunities that are taken by men. Men, uh, you know, in fact, uh, uh, I recently uh, talked to one of our plaintiffs in Connecticut and found out she has a twin brother. And he's a good athlete. He plays football, he plays basketball, and he plays baseball. He doesn't do track. And she's been a state champion. Uh, she was a junior high state champion, and she's been, you know, she runs at the, the top level for women in, in her state. And her brother doesn't train for any of that. But her twin brother beats her in all <laughs> of her races. Now, if you ever want to know, you know, all things being equal, what better setup do you have than, than twins? twins. All things being equal, a man is going to beat a woman every time. Mm -hmm. and, and so the, uh, uh, it's just, you know, every man that runs in girls' sports, every man that competes in girls' college sports, women's college sports, is taking a spot from a woman. And that is unacceptable, should be unacceptable. I coached girls' softball for a long time. So the battle today is about the definition of who's a man and who's a woman. And we're fighting that in our Ozark, uh, College of the Ozarks case about... Uh, college dorms being, uh, you know, uh, being forced by the Biden administration to have LGBT, uh, you know, sexual orientation, gender identity, have the man who thinks he's a woman sleep in the girls' dorm and go to the girls' sh shower rooms and so on. And this Christmas college is saying, no, we're not doing that. Uh, and so th that's part of the, the, the battle. We just won an important case about a month ago in the Sixth Circuit on the, the pronoun issue where a professor of philosophy refused to use the he or her uh, pronouns uh, different than the person's biological gender. 
Mm. And, and so uh, one important free speech uh, case, but in the, in the LGBT gender identity context. And so it's mm. one step below the Supreme Court, and we're very happy about, about that decision, very, very happy about that decision. So generational win is the traditional de definition of marriage, the traditional definition of sex comes back into our law, and we get away from the, uh, the very dangerous ideas that, uh, uh, you know, people used to say, you know, how will my same-sex marriage harm you? Just let right. us do our own thing. Yeah, well, why do you care about coming We're going to destroy life. your business if you don't agree. We're right. going to destroy your life if you don't agree. If you, if you, we're going to take you off Twitter if you don't agree. The way it, it affects us is uh, I, I interacted with a lesbian priest at a State Department event, and she said, all we want is for everybody to celebrate us. <laughs> you know, not... Not wow. to be left alone. We want everybody to be forced to celebrate. And that's, that's what the problem. Speech. That's compelled yeah. speech. Yeah, and and this is something where it's so obvious that these leftists are they preach tolerance for everyone, and they're the most intolerant people. Yeah. And so you know when they're looking at this, they're not just saying leave us alone. They're saying we want to make sure that you're celebrating us. So uh, we have to take a break right here, but we'll be right back to talk more about generational lens. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome back to Just the Truth, and we're continuing the conversation on generational wins. So, Mike, uh, before the break, we've been talking about uh, human sexuality, the traditional definition of marriage, and uh, before we get off of this topic, you know, the, the common pushback from the intolerant left is saying, well, then, um, if you are pushing the definition of human sexuality and of marriage on us, isn't that uh, taking a definition that now you're coercing us into speech that we disagree with? Well, it, it's not speech. I mean, no one wants to make them uh, say a speech that they, they disagree with. But every law legislates somebody's view of morality. Uh, if it's unconstitutional to pass a law that coincided with the biblical legal principle, a biblical view of God's law, then we couldn't have laws against murder or stealing. Uh, because those are in the Bible, they're in the Ten Commandments. You can't steal, you can't murder. Well, that's obvious nonsense, and the Supreme Court has dealt with that and said that it's obvious nonsense. Just because a law parallels the view of some religious group doesn't mean that it's unconstitutional. Now, uh, if the only argument that you had for something was because it was religious, just as a matter of politics, that would be incredibly hard to justify these days. But, and that's also part of religious liberty as well, exactly. that we wouldn't want to, I mean, God doesn't even coerce us to belief in him. And so we would never say, well, I'm coerced. I want the government to coerce uh, any individual or family right. to attend a Baptist church over a Jewish synagogue, right. for example. But, but the, the moral principles of the, of the Ten Commandments have been in law, and you can find those parallels in virtually every human society. And now it's only in recent years that we've had any question about uh, about those things because they're written on the heart of, of everybody. You know that's that's what a conscience is all about. And and so the uh, uh, so the argument that something parallels a religious doctrine and therefore is unconstitutional 
It's nonsense, constitutional nonsense. I can vote for a legislator for whatever reasons I want. If I want to apply biblical standards, we can do that. If an atheist wants to re apply his own standards, fine, let him do it. That's what, what a democratic republic is all about, is everybody gets to vote for a representative according to, and ask them to bring a philosophy that they want. And if, if their philosophy, uh, philosophy gets more votes, that's what it will be for it, you know, until the next election. And, and we, we, we see how we like to live. And, uh, you know, the philosophy that brought America to prosperity and freedom and national strength was not we were seeking prosperity and freedom and national, or free, we were not seeking prosperity and strength first. We were seeking to do first things first. We we're endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and hap happiness, pursuit of happiness. For this reason, governments are instituted among men and um, by the consent of the governed. So we were doing first things first. We were, we were pursuing God-given rights, the protection of God-given rights. And all these things were added unto us uh, of strength and prosperity and unparalleled advances in science and technology and innovation. All kinds of great things happened in a nation that started doing first things first. And so I believe that the, you know, you, you just simply, we take votes. Which way do you want to go? Do you want to have a nation that looks like burned out Portland? Or do you want to have a nation that, that has, is free and prosperous and good? Well, how did we get there? Mm -hmm. We ask ourselves, freedom and God-centered thinking got us there in the first place. Mm -hmm. And uh, parental rights to be able yes. to direct the training of children in the truth yeah. and making sure that we can reason together, which is uh, the last of our topics here is, uh, is preserving and protecting parental rights. And you added this actually to ADF when you came based on your experience in HSLDA for over 30 years. Yes, uh, uh, ADF International, uh, we have a pretty robust, uh, about 55 members on our international team. Uh, we work in the European Court of Human Rights. We work in India. We work uh, in Latin America. Uh, we're looking to expand into Africa. Um, but we are, um, uh, that uh, component of our work has been doing parental rights for a long time. But it wasn't being done on the domestic side. And so we cleared that disparity up and we're adding parental rights. We're standing up a new litigation team right now. And one of the areas we're going to go after uh, is the whole critical race theory being shoved down families' throats in public schools. There's one school in particular, but we're not ready to file yet, so I'm going to be a little oblique about it. That's just doing outrageous things, starting with kindergarten kids, telling kindergarten wow. kids that look at your skin color and you're either an oppressor or a victim. And so, you know, we talk, used to think that, you know, the public schools made fun of them for trying to give everybody some self-esteem. Well, they're now trying to destroy the self-esteem. I mean, absolutely destroy the self-esteem. Yeah, and no more participation yeah, trophies, I yeah, guess. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, uh, not if you got the wrong skin color. Yeah, no participation trophies for you. Uh, and a, a hospital in Boston has just announced that they're going to start allocating medical care based on your race uh, to, to, uh, under critical race theory as their, their framework mm -hmm. for making medical decisions. Uh, frankly, I would never go to that hospital. Uh, but the... Uh, we, we think that parental rights in public schools have been given uh, the short stick for, for too long. That, uh, you know, there's an old saying about students that they don't shed their rights at the schoolhouse door. Well, the law since about mid-1980s has been parents shed their rights at the schoolhouse door. And we think that some of these areas where it's clearly not teaching any 
recognizable curricular subject, but it's clearly worldview indoctrination. We think it's right for a, re a review of those doctrines and a reversal of those doctrines and to reestablish that parents are not going to be required to uh, get their kids uh, indoctrinated if they go to the public schools. Now, frankly, individually, I hope everybody homeschools their kids or at least goes to a Christian school. But nonetheless, a lot of people can't. And the law should be, I shouldn't have to pay taxes for mm -hmm. a school that's indoctrinating kids to hate me because of my race, hate me because of my religion. Uh, we, sh we should be a, a nation that is promoting religious liberty and true tolerance, which is tolerance of ideas that differ from what yes. you believe. Yes, and um, and speaking of critical race theory versus uh, the truth and also the truth about American history, uh, you were appointed to President Trump's 1776 commission, which was disbanded on the first day of the Biden right. administration. Uh, but that was such an important group. And so um, in the few minutes we have left here, um, talk about why that was so important and why that position um, was something that uh, you took very seriously to get into the education realm. Well, um, the, the whole point of the 1619 project and the 1776 project was essentially the polar opposite of the 1619. Is the, the claim is America was founded in infamy in 1619 where slaves were imported. Well, I have news for the New York Times. America wasn't in existence in 1619. Uh, we were a British colony. This land was a British colony. There was no such thing as the United States of America in 1619. It was 150 years in round numbers. Uh, later, that we became a nation on July 4th, 1776. And when we said we're endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, and, and we, we talked about equality and equality of rights and all those things, and self-government, none of those things were true on July 4th, 1776. And that's why we were throwing off our oppressors, because none of those things were true. And so when we, the, the, the goals of the Declaration of Independence shouldn't be said, well, they're hypocrites. No, of course we're hypocrites. We're not doing those things, but this is what we want to do. This is where we're headed. Mm -hmm. And we judge America by whether we have headed in the, in the direction of those noble goals, not what happened with you know, stray people in, in 1776, because the, the arc of history of America is that America has made wonderful progress on equality of rights, on fundamental freedoms, more than any other nation in the world. And we've done it by appealing to the noble ideals of the Declaration, not tearing them down. The 1619 project was to tear down America. The 1776 project was to build up America. Mm -hmm. That's excellent, and we'll be right back. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back to Just the Truth, and we're talking about generational wins and why you can be encouraged that conservatives are still fighting the fights and we are still going to preserve and protect freedom and liberty in this country. And Mike Ferris is going to tell us the plan to do it. Well, Jenna, there are four areas that ADF is working in to deliver these generational victories. And I, I, I should say, as an uh, introduction to that, 
our first name is Alliance. And so we don't think that we do any of these things all by ourselves. There are, there are allies. Uh, you're one of al our allied attorneys. Yes. We have over 3,000 allied attorneys. We, we have allied organizations. The State Family Policy Councils are particularly important. We have other friends, Family Research Council, Heritage Foundation, many others that, that work with us, the Susan B. Anthony List, many others that work with us on some on, on multiple issues, some on just one of those, those five issues. Um, but the, the plan, what, we, what ADF is going to do to kind of lead the charge and try to do the coalescing of, of the groups is we do litigation. Of course, ADF is the largest uh, conservative legal organization in the world. We have over 300 employees, 75 full-time lawyers, and the 3,000 allied attorneys. Uh, litigation is, is our bread and butter, the center of what we do. Uh, we, we work in the legislative sphere as well, not so much in the kind of the grassroots lobbying thing that many others do and do very well. We're called on to do more pr uh, providing legal advice to legislators and uh, testimony, helping with build draft reviews and that sort of thing. And we're continue working in the legislative sphere in, in those ways. Um, then educating the public is a big part of that. And so what we're doing here today exactly. is educating the public. Uh, and so. Um, many other things. We have a, a, a video uh, series that's like Prager University. Uh, it's called Freedom Matters. It's done by the same company that does Prager University's material. And so, you know, Google Freedom Matters and look at our public education materials. And we're particularly concerned that uh, people that are part of the conservative movement and the, and the churches educate their own kids. Um, if we don't reach our, our, our own kids, uh, you know, there's, the hope diminishes considerably. Uh, and then finally, praying. Um, we believe that you know, we, we can't accomplish things that the world seems, impo seems is impossible without the power of God. And without prayer, the power of God's not going to be unleashed. And so our goal is to get 5 to 10 million people praying for the generational wins. Not praying for ADF exactly, although I hope they pray for us a little bit on the side, but praying that America will be a pro-life nation. America will be a nation that honors religious freedom, that we honor marriage and sexuality as God defines them, and, and honors parental rights and honors freedom of speech. Praying for America, and it's, we don't think that we're, we're gonna go get five million people all by ourselves. We're asking prayer groups to join with us, and already that's joined with us, a program that's about to launch in a couple of weeks. Uh, the National Day of Prayer group has, has joined with us. The Intercessors for America have joined with us. And we have thousands of churches that are part of our Church and Ministry Alliance. We think they'll join with us. And so we're asking people to have prayer uh, lists and groups now. Just simply add our stuff to your prayer list. We're not asking you to hijack your, your, your group. We don't want to take over your group. We just want to send you our prayer requests and ask you to pray for America in this specific way. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, uh, we believe that we can find five to ten million people who will pray for it, and, and that's going to be an important part of our strategy. Uh, and I've just seen God deliver in, in over the years. I mean, the homeschooling victory that we described at the outset of the program didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened when the, the teachers' union is the most powerful political force in every state legislature. And in every state, they opposed homeschool freedom. And in every state, we beat them. We, we beat the biggest battle we ever had in Congress. We won 422 to 1 when Bill Clinton was president and the Democrats were in, in control. And we had lost a vote on the same issue eight days earlier on a straight party line vote. All the Democrats voting against us, all the Republicans who were in the minority voting for us. But God turned it around in eight days. And wow. so I, you know, you know I, I, I read and believe all the stories in the Bible. 
But I've seen God deliver in my lifetime in multiple ways. And so I just walk in confidence. This stuff's going to happen. Maybe it'll take five years. Maybe some of them will take 10 years. Maybe some will take 25. Maybe some will take 30. I don't know. But I'm going to walk in confident faith that these things are going to happen because America's a great nation and even more, God's a great God. Mm -hmm. And I love how you said that of walking in confidence because so many people have felt uh, timid based on censorship, based on uh, you know some of these religious liberty uh, oppressions that they've experienced in their own churches through the pandemic, you know, all of these things. And so um, for people who want to be a part of this and they're saying, I love, Mike, that this is actually so encouraging compared to what I normally hear, uh, how can they be a part of praying for ADF, getting those messages that you're talking about, and also just uh, stand up in confidence? Well, they can go to our website and sign up for any of this. We're going to have a, an additional prayer website very soon, but for right now, you can just go to uh, adflegal.org is our website, adflegal.org. Uh, go there and just sign up for the emails, or uh, there's a way that you, you know, just uh, do an internal search for prayer, but uh, you, can, you can find that. We also have an ambassadors program. If you want to tell your friends and neighbors, click on ambassadors and see how you can become an ambassador for, for us, which means you're going to tell your friends and neighbors about ADF and, and get them involved in our work. And so um, plenty of ways to get involved. If you're an attorney, we'll, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, recruit another allied attorney. So there are lots of ways for involvement. Just go to our website and take a look. That's it for this episode of Just the Truth. I'm Jenna Ellis, and we are sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find out more about the Thomas More Society and the incredible work that we do there at thomasmoresociety.org. And I will be back tomorrow and every Monday through Friday here on Just the Truth.